0: The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News
1: Talk. Good morning, Connor. Good morning, Pat. Hi. Now, an intriguing story here about uh, a jump in the cost of settling motor claims. Mm. and the question is if premiums are coming down, how do the sums add up? Yeah, well the sums continue to
0: add up okay for the insurance sector. Um, motor insurance was profitable for them again last year. That's I think the sixth year in a row. Uh, but there's a couple of things that are going on which are good. We've been looking for it for a long time. New personal injury guidelines went live April of 21 and we're starting to see those wash through and that is leading to an improvement both in the cost of settling those personal injury claims and in the speed at which they're being done. Basically, the PIAB system is working better under the new guidelines. It'll take some time for that to wash through, but the trend is good. Um, The other thing that's happening is in the opposite direction. The cost of repairing cars rocketed up, and that's to do with the cost of parts, cost of labour. So a collision of given severity, all other things being equal, is resulting in slightly less personal injury payout, uh, but slightly more repair costs, But
1: the balance is still in favour of the punter whose premiums
0: are falling. Yeah, premiums came down by 7% last year and that's a great trend. But look, we do have to sort of step back a bit from this. We've been watching, I've been watching the insurance cycle for many, many years and and it's not a one-year thing. Insurance companies themselves have to think in sort of seven-year cycles. So there will be individual years when you look at the number and say, God, they're making a fortune. Then there are other years when you look at the number and say, my God, they're losing. So you have to take a longer view. We do need a profitable and sensible Insurance mm. sector, um, and, and you know, and the, the, the trends do need time to mature. And there are still significant problems. For example, the personal injury costs for motor claims is coming down in a satisfactory way, as predicted by the new guidelines. That's looking good. It's not happening in terms of commercial insurance, public liability insurance, um, and it should be. And so, mm. we need attention on that as well. So, it's not a problem fixed, um, but the macro trend at the moment is, yeah. is not bad for the
1: consumer. And there was a calculation done many years ago. <clears throat> I think by Ford or somebody involved uh, with motor repairs in the the United States. And they figured if you actually built a car from the spare parts that you bought in the motor factors, if the car cost, say, $5,000 at the time, it would have cost you $50,000 to build it out of spares, such yeah. was the price of spares. Yeah, and baked, So that's a profitable little number for the manufacturers. Oh, and baked into the motor industry. It's, a you know,
0: an impo- part, important part of the supply chain for years uncounted. And you'll have arguments even at European level over intellectual property and who can make spare parts and are Ford the only people who can produce this widget and are Opel the only people who can produce that widget? All part of the conversation because it's a, a big and complex supply chain. Um, but as a general rule, yeah, it, uh, you know the, the aftermarket and fixing cars is a profitable
1: yeah. business There's another element though uh, one of uh, it was my brother in fact went into a particular motor uh, distributor to uh, a main dealership to mm. get uh, a problem with the headlight fixed and um, they said oh we'll have to replace the headlight mm. and the guy went off to kind of inquire whether they had the part and A mechanic from Poland came in and he just said, what are you doing here? And my brother said, well, my headlight is uh, adrift, you know, it needs to be replaced. And your man looked, oh no, it only needs a bracket. There you go. Instead of 300 euro it was 20 euro.
0: Yeah and and you don't know whether that's lazy or duplicitous. Um, If you've got a bulb gone it depends on the model of the car. For a lot of cars it's a really simple fix. Take it to Halfords or somewhere like that for 20 quid they'll supply the bulb and install it. There are other cars really for reasons of bad design where accessing a headlamp bulb is really really tricky and things have to be moved and things have to be taken off. So you know it it could be true, but I mean, that's on the face mm. of it, very, very pricey for a bulb,
1: isn't it? Um, why are insurance companies allowed to target air codes when insuring customers? Your postcode can lead up to maybe a 30 to 40% uh, excess on a policy charge, excess charge on mm. the policy. I thought car insurance was assessing your ability as a driver.
0: Well, no, it assesses risk. Uh, I, I, Fire and theft. Well, and all sorts. Um, now, I would be very surprised if an air code made that big a difference But, um, in other words, for this particular quarter, perhaps there are other factors at play, I don't know. As a general rule, your air code could make a difference. But just think again about what the insurance companies are doing. Like, there's nothing sinister here. They're behaving like bookies in their own interest Mm. and they're balancing risk. And, you know, so if if all of the things being equal, they can look at their claims database and point statistically to a likelihood that that will increase risk, then it goes into their algorithm as one of the weighting factors. That's why you get a price for insurance and it says, you know, 567 and 49 cents. And you're thinking, where the hell are they going to figure that precise? It comes out of an algorithmical weighting of loads and loads and loads of different risks. And, And they make their bet, if you like, on what the best price is to give you. And, and if you can get a better price on the market, fair enough. If not, they're accepting that risk and that will be a risk on their books potentially for years to come. So they have to weigh that up as well.
1: Now, uh, motorists may bring about the demise of their own cars by not <laughs> understanding the lights that light up occasionally on the dashboard.
0: Yeah, no, this came up in conversation in our house not so long ago and I've seen surveys on it in the past and I was looking it up. Uh, there was a survey in the UK, there have been several, but there was a fairly large one a couple of, well, a year or so ago um, and it asked British motorists if they understood the dashboard lights. 53% said they were confused by the basic display of the dashboard light. Uh, over 60% said they did not understand what an alarm or warning light meant when it appeared on the dashboard of the car. Uh, so you have people basically who, who, who don't have a clue what the car is telling them. Um, and needless to say, that's a bad trend.
1: Is there uh, any general kind of guideline? You know the way in storms we have the your colour yellow, colour. the orange and the red yeah. for storm warnings. Well, it's the same broadly
0: on the dashboard of your car. Green means everything's working fine. Uh, all, all systems go. Orange or yellow means that something is wrong. And you should get it checked. And often you might see, for example, a funny squiggle. You think, what's that? Oh, is that meant to represent the engine? Oh, it does. So I have a yellow engine light on. I mean, that could be oil or something like that. It is worth your while checking. Um, And then if you see a red light on the dashboard of the car and so many motorists will ignore this if there's no obvious symptom. Now this is um, an
1: unusual red light because if you've got the handbrake on, oh yes, you'll have yeah, a red yeah, light yeah. on it.
0: Um, but if a red warning light appears on the dashboard, even if you don't understand the symbol, that means something is seriously wrong, potentially dangerously wrong, and you should stop the car as soon as you possibly can. Now. Back in the day, if you wanted to know how your car worked, you, you read the owner's manual that was in the glove box and was probably about an inch thick and very sort of physicsy and schematic-y and probably badly translated from French. Um, and it was hard to labour your way through it. Nowadays, just do a Google search. You'll get a quick YouTube video, any make and model of car what does this light mean? And it's worth taking a a little bit of time just to only take you 10 minutes to familiarise yourself with that. The other thing which is a bugbear of mine and I remember from my AA days it was a major major complaint fog lights. Fog lights are usually a different switch in the car find out where they are an orange light on the dashboard will tell you when they're on you need to put them on when it's foggy and at least as importantly you need to turn them off again afterwards major source of complaint the car in front has not turned off fog light.
1: Now also if you're going to the NCT and some of these lights are lighting up you have no chance have They you? can
0: fail the test for you well in a sense because for example if one of the engine warning lights is on even as an orange warning light that will mean that the emissions test can't be performed properly so your car won't be able to complete the NCT you'll have to go and come back um, so that's a very very easy thing that can catch you and it'll fairly ruin your day if you get as far as the NCT centre and you can't start mm. the test because of that so as I say green light all good orange light something or yellow light some Something is wrong. Don't ignore it. Look it up. Check it. And red light, don't drive the car.
1: Don't drive the car. It's as simple as that. Um, Diagnostics, you know, the the plug-in diagnostics for most modern cars now. It doesn't tell you everything. Uh, I have a pal whose car wouldn't start and uh, the diagnostics told him everything's perfect. Thank you very much. It was probably a loose fan belt that wasn't charging the the generator, that wasn't allowing the generator to charge the battery. but. The, the diagnostics won't tell you some of the physical things that are wrong Sometimes. with you Sometimes. I
0: mean, often the diagnostics are very, very good. And again, I recall when we were getting new laptops in to talk to onboard diagnostics. Incidentally, that was the subject of a massive row at European level, intellectual property and who got to design and build the interface for onboard diagnostics. Um, but nevertheless, it, the systems are fantastic. They'll tell you most things most of the time and you can see them on a digital display on a laptop.
1: But the odd mechanical, simple, physical thing, um, mm. it, it'll miss. No some of the questions coming in. Can you ask Connor if he thinks the EV grant will go back up uh, to 5K after the COP meeting? Pious statements well, from Eamon Ryan while doing the reverse in in Ireland. Uh, how serious are we about transforming the fleet from fossil fuels to
0: EVs? We're a little bit serious. The grants are quite good. EV market share is growing, Um, but if we're serious about getting a million vehicles on the road by 2030, a target which we have already missed, we're going to have to be a lot more serious about support getting them into the market. So the short answer is, no, he isn't doing enough, and on the evidence, we're not serious enough about the transition.
1: Another one, I've seen numerous new cars on the M50 at night time without their lights on. So dangerous. Shouldn't be.
0: All European cars. I wonder why that happens. Well, all European cars uh, bought or uh, sold into the European Union for years now must have daytime running lights as standard. So a dipped light will always be on. The vast majority of modern cars will have lights on automatic sensors. So they will turn on responsibly immediately. So it's rare to see that these days. The one-eyed monster is still around, though the individual with yeah. one broken headlight, and on a country road... Do you think it's is, a motorbike? Oh, it's death waiting to happen. It's yeah. horrific. And it's much, much worse from outside the car than for the driver.
1: Another one says, if people can't understand dash warning lights, they shouldn't be driving. It's as simple as that. In my well, experience, most people using fog lights, especially rear ones, seem to have more fog in their brains... Than it's actually on the road. The fog
0: lights drive people mad. There's no doubt about it. But look, that's the modern world. If anything goes wrong with your car or anything in life these days, you want to pick up your phone and say, somebody fix it. Um, you know, the days where, where, where you were intrepid enough to have a toolkit in the bush and have a go yourself. Uh, OK, it still happens, but it's rare these days in modern cars and modern life.
1: I have an Ionic F5 EV. I mm. cracked the backlight cover, €700 Euro in the Ooh. dealership because the entire unit needed to be replaced. That seems crazy, doesn't it? That but it's also crazy. this business of LED lighting you know, the, the, it's not like a bulb you can screw in and screw out. It tends to be kind of built into the, the unit. Yeah, but it should be a simple replaceable component though, and that mm. seems like an unnecessary Isn't complicated... that where the EU is going with mobile phones? They've got to be repairable. Yeah, standardised. And, and this thing of sustainability. Yeah, you know, and again, closer to my own wheelhouse on the, in the motor industry,
0: lots and lots of debate about intellectual property when it comes to design features of cars. So this is Volkswagen's bespoke software system, can only Volkswagen Wagon use it or can a roadside repairer use it and all the subject of kind of detailed conversations as you police the supply chain and look for you know manufacturers doing exactly that dominating the aftermarket and charging a fortune for parts.
1: Why is there nowhere to complain about garages selling dirty green diesel? I've reported to the Guard the oh. and Revenue but got nowhere, I'm out of pocket by several thousand euro. That was a much bigger problem about seven or eight years ago. It was a
0: huge story at the time, in fact, about marked diesel, agricultural diesel, and the criminal activity of laundering it out, mostly done in border counties by well-known bandits. Uh, the, The dye is more sophisticated now, which doesn't mean it'll fix it forever, but it has put them one step ahead of the fraudsters and it's much less of a problem now than it used to be. But that's worth keeping an eye on if that creeps back because there's potentially a lot of money there for criminal enterprises um, in, in laundering diesel if they can do it. Yeah. Uh, another one, can Connor explain yellow box use? Uh, well, you don't enter a yellow box unless your exit is clear. That's the simple rule. But so if you, does it not apply if you're
1: coming to a T-junction?
0: One like exception that? is if you're turning right. Yeah. That's what the yellow box is for. And you will also see a yellow box sometimes in a position that makes no sense. Say, this is just a straight piece of road. There's no turn. Why a yellow box? And you realise when you look at it that actually that's to facilitate a bus pulling out sure. or something like that. So even if you can't intuitively see the reason for it, unless you're queuing to make a right turn, it's never correct to stop in a box.
1: Okay, uh, because the the whole idea sometimes of a yellow box is to allow people coming from a side road yes. to, to get on; otherwise, they'll never get on. Exactly right, or allow a bus to pull out. And for the driver, sometimes it can feel
0: as if it makes no sense. Is it? Like, this is just a completely arbitrary marking on the road. There's no reason for it to be there.
1: And actually, uh, it, mm. it's the, it is there for a reason. The check engine light will only tell you stuff connected electrically. Mechanical stuff won't get flagged nor show up on any diagnostic reader. Uh, and then the texture goes on to say. Alternative and sustainable fuels will be the future, not electricity.
0: Well, there's two big uh, points being made there. Firstly, the sensors will pick up a lot of uh, tyre pressure warnings, A classic example. That's kind of a, a mechanical thing. And incidentally, it's something that drivers very, very often ignore. Uh, what's that? Oh, it beeps every time I start the car. I must check the tyres. And they'll ignore it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Is that not uh, electrically measured, though? The... The, oh, it is, I suppose, yeah. 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 Well, sure, the light's electric anyway, isn't it? Uh, so, uh, um, but you, Well, I, I would take the point that, that the sensors and diagnostics aren't perfect mm. and simple things can Still
1: go wrong. Another one: uh, Those automatic daytime running lights do not activate tail lights. You have to turn on your lights to have mm. the tail lights on. Tail lights are as important as headlights in poor conditions. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and I say most
0: cars have an auto function these days, yeah. uh, which means the car itself will decide when ambient light is sufficient. And but as a general rule, particularly this time of year, um, dipped headlights,
1: you know, at all times, I- even during the day. Mm. Uh, is it uh, illegal? To use your fog lights when it's not foggy, I particularly find front fog lights dazzling. But I've never heard or seen anybody being fined or for using them incorrectly. That's from Dan in Dublin.
0: It's in the rules of the road. You use your fog lights in but fog or in an snow. Well, it's only a offence in, insofar as you could be driving without due care and attention, which is a catch-all clause in the Road Traffic Act. Because in the same way that you couldn't legislate for absolutely everything stupid that a driver does, oh. so there's no specific law that says thou shalt not hold a cup of coffee between thy knees when... that would be careless them, driving. Or, or, or driving without due care and attention. And if you are sort of recklessly using your lights, so say, for example, you've got full beam cannons on and you're dazzling all of the cars, conceivably, you could be prosecuted mm. there for for due care and attention, but but it would be a very rare event.
1: Uh, I was involved in a road traffic accident three months ago, the other person's fault. I'm injured, out of work and hope to return soon. Mm. How long should I wait to contact PIAB? Uh, from Alan well uh, do it straight
0: away I mean do it, there, there, there's no benefit in delay and presumably if there is a personal injury you're getting medical attention which would be your first uh, mm-hmm. priority and the PIAB uh, guideline system is, is the simplest and most efficient and cheapest way in terms of legal costs that you can get settlement and move on and do you know what when somebody's injured personally and it's genuine, you know, they're not really concerned about maximising compo. Get your life fixed and move on. Piab is the best mechanism for that and the fastest. And Uh, the evidence is
1: that the the, the compo that you get uh, is the same. Uh, Uh, A point made by a listener that in terms of the stats about cars being sold electrically driven cars, that maybe the growth is in hybrids, which are, you know, part fossil, part uh, electrical, um, that EVs themselves are not growing pace. Uh, that's... According- well, they
0: are. Hybrids have a good market share and they're a great option at the moment, particularly if you're a one-car household because they've kind of got best of both worlds. Now, environmentalists will give out because it makes fossil fuels last longer and gives the whole thing a longer tail. But nevertheless, they have advantages over pure electric. Um, and that you know that's mostly to do with range and network, et cetera. So, and, and all of those things are improving on the electric side. So electric, in my opinion, is the future. Even though you could discuss... Alternative fuels, sustainable fuels, and this, that, and the other—electric
1: on mass, to my mind, at the moment, is probably the future. Okay, Connor, thank you very much for joining us. Connor Falkman, transport commentator and CEO of the R I A C. Well, that-
0: the Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance,
1: weekdays at nine a.m. on News